Section sixty two of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume two by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. He then carried me to visit Dr. Bentham, Canon of Christchurch and Divinity Professor, with whose learned and lively conversation we were much pleased. He gave us an invitation to dinner, which Dr. Johnson told me was a high honour sir it is a great thing to dine with the canons of christchurch we could not accept his invitation as we were engaged to dine at university college we had an excellent dinner there with the master and fellows it being st cuthbert's day which is kept by them as a festival as he was a saint of durham with which this college is much connected footnote dr fisher who was present told Mr. Croker that he recollected one passage of the conversation. Boswell quoted, Quem Deus vult perere prius dementat, and asked where it was. A pause. At last Dr. Chandler said, In Horace. Another pause. Then Fisher remarked that he knew of no metre in Horace to which the words could be reduced and johnson said dictatorially the young man is right mark patterson recorded in his diary in eighteen forty three memoirs on the authority of mr now cardinal newman about seventeen seventy the worst time in the university head of oriel then who was continually obliged to be assisted to bed by his butler Gordy's a scene of wild license at christchurch they dined at three and sat regularly till chapel at nine a gaudy is such a festival as the one in the text End of footnote. we drank tea with dr home late president of magdalen college footnote the author of the commentary on the psalms End of footnote, and bishop of norwich of whose abilities in different respects the public has had eminent proofs and the esteem annexed to whose character was increased by knowing him personally he had talked of publishing an edition of walton's lives but had laid aside that design upon dr johnson's telling him from mistake that lord hales intended to do it i had wished to negotiate between lord hales and him that one or other should perform so good a work Johnson, in order to do it well, it will be necessary to collect all the editions of Walton's lives. By way of adapting the book to the taste of the present age, they have in a later edition left out a vision which he relates Dr. Dunn had, but it should be restored. Footnote. I have seen, said Mr. Dunn to Sir R. Drury, a dreadful vision since I saw you. I have seen my dear wife pass twice by me through this room with her hair hanging about her shoulders and a dead child in her arms. He learnt that on the same day and about the very hour, after a long and dangerous labour, she had been delivered of a dead child. Walton's Life of Dr. Dunn. End of footnote. And there should be a critical catalogue given of the works of the different persons whose lives were written by Walton and therefore their works must be carefully read by the editor. 
we then went to trinity college where he introduced me to mr thomas wharton with whom we passed a part of the evening we talked of biography johnson it is rarely well executed Footnote. biographers so little regard the manners or behaviour of their heroes that more knowledge may be gained of a man's real character by a short conversation with one of his servants than from a formal and studied narrative begun with his pedigree and ended with his funeral the rambler number sixty and a footnote they only who live with a man can write his life with any genuine exactness and discrimination and few people who have lived with the man know what to remark about him the chaplain of a late bishop whom i was to assist in writing some memoirs of his lordship could tell me scarcely anything Footnote. it has been mentioned to me by an accurate english friend that dr johnson could never have used the phrase almost nothing as not being english and therefore i have put another in its place at the same time i am not quite convinced it is not good english for the best writers use the phrase little or nothing that is almost so little as to be nothing boswell boswell might have left almost nothing in his text johnson used it in his writing certainly twice it will add almost nothing to the expense i have read little almost nothing prayers and meditations moreover in a letter to mrs aston written on november the fifth seventeen seventy nine crocus boswell he says nothing almost is purchased in king lear act two scene two we have nothing almost sees miracles but misery and a footnote i said mr robert dodsley's life should be written as he had been so much connected with the wits of his time and by his literary merit had raised himself from the station of a footman footnote pope's fortune did not suffer his charity to be splendid and conspicuous but he assisted dodsley with a hundred pounds that he might open a shop johnson's works volume eight page three one eight and a footnote mr wharton said he had published a little volume under the title of the muse in livery footnote a muse in livery or the footman's miscellany seventeen thirty two a rhyme in the motto on the title page shows what a cockney muse dodsley's was he writes but when i mount behind the coach and bear aloft a flaming torch the preface is written with much good feeling and a footnote johnson i doubt whether dodsley's brother would thank a man who should write his life footnote james dodsley many years a bookseller in pall mall he died february the nineteenth seventeen ninety seven p cunningham he was living therefore when this anecdote was published End of footnote. yet dodsley himself was not unwilling that his original low condition should be recollected when lord littleton's dialogues of the dead came out one of which is between apicius an ancient epicure and dartonerf a modern epicure dodsley said to me i knew dartonerf well for i was once his footman footnote 
Horace Walpole letters says, You know how decent, humble, inoffensive a creature Dodsley is, how little apt to forget or disguise his having been a footman. Johnson seems to refer to Dodsley in the following passage written in 1756, works 105, page 358. The last century imagined that a man composing in his chariot was a new object of curiosity. But how much would the wonder have been increased by a footman studying behind it? End of footnote. Biography led us to speak of Dr. John Campbell, who had written a considerable part of the Biographia Britannica. Johnson, though he valued him highly, was of opinion that there was not so much in his great work, a political survey of Great Britain, as the world had been taught to expect. Footnote. Yet surely it is a very useful work, and of wonderful research and labour for one man to have executed. Boswell. See Boswell's Hebrides, October the 17th, 1773, and said to me that he believed Campbell's disappointment on account of the bad success of that work had killed him. He this evening observed of it, that work was his death. Mr. Water, not adverting to his meaning, answered, I believe so, from the great attention he bestowed on it. Johnson nay sir he died of want of attention if he died at all by that book we talked of a work much in vogue at that time written in a very mellifluous style but which under pretext of another subject contained much artful infidelity footnote two days earlier hume congratulated gibbon on the first volume of his decline and fall I own that if I had not previously had the happiness of your personal acquaintance, such a performance from an Englishman in our age would have given me some surprise. You may smile at this sentiment, but as it seems to me that your countrymen for almost a whole generation have given themselves up to barbarous and absurd faction, and have totally neglected all polite letters, I no longer expected any valuable production ever to come from them. J. H. Burton's Hume and a footnote. I said it was not fair to attack us thus unexpectedly. He should have warned us of our danger before we entered his garden of flowery eloquence by advertising spring guns and men traps set here. Footnote. Five weeks later, Boswell used a different metaphor. I think it is right that as fast as infidel wasps or venomous insects, whether creeping or flying, are hatched, they shall be crushed. Letters of Boswell If the infidels were wasps to the orthodox, the orthodox were hornets to the infidels. Gibbon wrote, the freedom of my writings has indeed provoked an implacable tribe. But as I was safe from the stings, I was soon accustomed to the buzzing of the hornets. End of footnote. The author had been an Oxonian, and was remembered there for having turned papist. I observed that as he had changed several times, 
from the Church of England to the Church of Rome, from the Church of Rome to infidelity, did not despair yet of seeing him a Methodist preacher. Johnson laughing, it is said that his range has been more extensive, and that he has once been a Mahometan. Footnote. Macaulay thus examines this report, essays. To what, then, it has been asked, could Johnson allude? Possibly to some anecdote or some conversation of which all trace is lost. One conjecture may be offered, though with diffidence. Gibbon tells us in his memoirs that at Oxford he took a fancy for studying Arabic and was prevented from doing so by the remonstrances of his tutor. Soon after this, the young man fell in with Bossuet's controversial writings and was speedily converted by them to the Roman Catholic faith. The apostasy of a gentleman commoner would, of course, be for a time the chief subject of conversation in the common room of Magdalen. His whim about Arabic learning would naturally be mentioned and would give occasion to some jokes about the probability of his turning Mussulman. If such jokes were made, Johnson, who frequently visited Oxford, was very likely to hear of them. Though Gibbon's autobiography ends with the year 1788, yet he wrote portions of it, I believe, after the publication of The Life of Johnson. I have little doubt that in the following lines he refers to the attack thus made on him by Boswell and Johnson. Many years afterwards, when the name of Gibbon was become as notorious as that of Middleton, it was industriously whispered at Oxford that the historian had formerly turned papist. My character stood exposed to the reproach of inconstancy. End of footnote. However, now that he has published his infidelity, he will probably persist in it. Boswell. I'm not quite sure of that, sir. I mentioned Sir Richard Steele having published his Christian Hero with the avowed purpose of obliging himself to lead a religious life. Footnote. Steele, in his apology for himself and his writings, says of himself, He first became an author when an ensign of the guards, a way of life exposed to much irregularity, and being thoroughly convinced of many things of which he often repented, and which he more often repeated, he writ for his own private use a little book called The Christian Hero, with the design principally to fix upon his own mind a strong impression of virtue and religion, in opposition to a stronger propensity towards unwarrantable pleasures. This secret admonition was too weak. He therefore printed the book with his name in hopes that a standing testimony against himself and the eyes of the world that is to say of his acquaintance upon him in a new light, might curb his desires, and make him ashamed of understanding and seeming to feel what was virtuous, and living so quite contrary a life. End of footnote. I mentioned Sir Richard Steele having published his Christian Hero, with the avowed purpose of obliging himself to lead a religious life, yet that his conduct was by no means strictly suitable. Johnson, still, I believe, practised the lighter vices. Mr. Warden, being engaged, could not sup with us at our inn, 
we had therefore another evening by ourselves i asked johnson whether a man's being forward to make himself known to eminent people footnote a man no doubt as boswell himself end of footnote and seeing as much of life and getting as much information as he could in every way was not yet lessening himself by his forwardness johnson no sir a man always makes himself greater as he increases his knowledge i censured some ludicrous fantastic dialogues between two coach-horses and other such stuff which baretti had lately published Footnote. i was sure when i read it that the preface to baretti's dialogues was dr johnson's and that i made him confess baretti's dialogues what are they about a thimble and a spoon and a knife and a fork they are the most absurd and yet the most laughable things you ever saw they were written for miss thrale and all the dialogues are between her and him except now and then a shovel and a poker or a goose and a chair happen to step in madame d'arblay's diary and a footnote he joined with me and said nothing odd will do long tristram shandy did not last Footnote. april the fourth seventeen sixty at present nothing is talked of nothing admired but what i cannot help calling a very insipid and tedious performance it is a kind of novel called the life and opinions of tristram shandy the great humour of which consists in the whole narration always going backwards walpole's letters march the seventh seventeen sixty one the second and third volumes of tristram shandy the dregs of nonsense have universally met the contempt they deserve Ibid. my good friend said dr farmer one day in the parlour of emmanuel college you young men seem very fond of this tristram shandy but mark my words however much it may be talked about at present yet depend upon it in the course of twenty years should any one wish to refer to it he will be obliged to go to an antiquary to inquire for it crocus boswell end of footnote i expressed the desire to be acquainted with a lady who had been much talked of and universally celebrated for extraordinary address and insinuation footnote mrs rudd she and the two brothers perrault were charged with forgery she was tried first and acquitted the verdict of the jury being not guilty according to the evidence before us the annual register adds there were the loudest applauses on this acquittal almost ever known in a court of justice the issue of mrs rudd's trial was thought to involve the fate of the perrots and the popular fancy had taken the part of the woman as against the men they were convicted and hanged protesting their innocence letters to boswell boswell wrote to temple on april the twenty eighth you know my curiosity and love of adventure i have got acquainted with the celebrated mrs rudd Ibid. three days later he wrote perhaps the adventure with mrs rudd is very foolish 
notwithstanding dr johnson's approbation ibid end of footnote johnson never believe extraordinary characters which you hear of people depend upon it sir they are exaggerated you do not see one man shoot a great deal higher than another i mentioned mr burke johnson yes burke is an extraordinary man his stream of mind is perpetual footnote see post may the fifteenth seventeen eighty four where johnson says that mrs montague has a constant stream of conversation and a second time allows that burke is an extraordinary man johnson writes of a stream of melody for burke's conversations he posed april the seventh seventeen seventy eight seventeen eighty in mr langton's collection march the twenty first seventeen eighty three and boswell's hebrides august the fifteenth it is very pleasing to me to record that johnson's high estimation of the talents of this gentleman was uniform from their early acquaintance sir joshua reynolds informs me that when mr burke was first elected a member of parliament and sir john hawkins expressed a wonder at his attaining a seat johnson said now we who know mr burke know that he will be one of the first men in this country and once when johnson was ill and unable to exert himself as much as usual without fatigue mr burke having been mentioned he said that fellow calls forth all my powers were i to see burke now it would kill me footnote according to boswell's record in boswelliana two sayings are here united he there writes on the authority of mr langton dr johnson had a very high opinion of edmund burke he said that fellow calls forth all my powers and once when he was out of spirits and rather dejected he said were i to see burke now it would kill me End footnote. so much was he accustomed to consider conversation as a contest and such was his notion of burke as an opponent next morning thursday march the thirty first we set out in a post-chaise to pursue our ramble it was a delightful day and we rode through blenheim park when i looked at the magnificent bridge built by john duke of marlborough over a small rivulet and recollected the epigram made upon it the lofty arch his high ambition shows the stream an emblem of his bounty flows footnote in a note on the dunciad book two line fifty the author of this epigram is said to be dr evans in the footnote and saw that now by the genius of brown footnote capability brown as he was called end of footnote a magnificent body of water was collected i said they have drowned the epigram i observed to him while in the midst of the noble scene around us you and i sir have i think seen together the extremes of what can be seen in britain the wild rough island of mull and blenheim park 
we dined at an excellent inn at chapel house where he expatiated on the felicity of england in its taverns and inns and triumphed over the french for not having in any perfection the tavern life there is no private house said he in which people can enjoy themselves so well as at a capital tavern let there be ever so great plenty of good things ever so much grandeur ever so much elegance ever so much desire that everybody should be easy in the nature of things it cannot be there must always be some degree of care and anxiety the master of the house is anxious to entertain his guests the guests are anxious to be agreeable to him and no man but a very impudent dog indeed can as freely command what is in another man's house as if it were his own Footnote. such an impudent dog had boswell himself been in corsica before i was accustomed to the corsican hospitality he wrote i sometimes forgot myself and imagining i was in a public house called for what i wanted with the tone which one uses in calling to the waiters at a tavern i did so at pino asking for a variety of things at once when signora tomasi perceiving my mistake looked in my face and smiled saying with much calmness and good nature una cosa dopo un'altra signore one thing after another sir Paswas Corsican. a corsican gentleman who knows the tomasi family told me that this reply is preserved among them by tradition End of footnote. whereas at a tavern there is a general freedom from anxiety you are sure you are welcome and the more noise you make the more trouble you give the more good things you call for the welcomer you are no servants will attend you with the alacrity which waiters do who are incited by the prospect of an immediate reward in proportion as they please no sir there is nothing which has yet been contrived by man by which so much happiness is produced as by a good tavern or inn Footnote sir john hawkins has preserved very few memorabilia of johnson there is however to be found in his bulky tome a very excellent one upon this subject in contradiction to those who having a wife and children prefer domestic enjoyments to those which a tavern affords i have heard him assert that a tavern chair was the throne of human felicity as soon said he as i enter the door of a tavern i experience an oblivion of care and a freedom from solicitude when i am seated i find the master courteous and the servants obsequious to my call anxious to know and ready to supply my wants wine there exhilarates my spirits and prompts me to free conversation and an interchange of discourse with those whom i most love i dogmatize and am contradicted and in this conflict of opinions and sentiments i find delight boswell end of footnote he then repeated with great emotion shenstone's lines whoe'er has travelled life's dull round where his stages may have been 
may sigh to think he still has found the warmest welcome at an inn footnote we happen to lie this night at the inn at henley where shenstone wrote these lines boswell i give them as they are found in the corrected edition of his works published after his death in dodsley's collection the stanza ran thus whoe'er has travelled a life's dull round whate'er his various tour has been may sigh to think how oft he found his warmest welcome at an inn boswell end footnote my illustrious friend thought i did not sufficiently admire shenstone that ingenious and elegant gentleman's opinion of johnson appears in one of his letters to mr graves dated february ninth seventeen sixty footnote reverend richard graves author of the spiritual quixote he and shenstone were fellow students at pembroke college oxford and a footnote i have lately been reading one or two volumes of the rambler who excepting against some few hardnesses in his manner footnote he too often makes use of the abstract for the concrete shenstone boswell end of footnote and the want of more examples to enliven is one of the most nervous most perspicuous most concise in square brackets and most harmonious prose writers i know and learned diction improves by time in the afternoon as we were driven rapidly along in the post-chaise he said to me life has not many things better than this footnote i asked him why he doted on a coach so and received for answer that in the first place the company was shut in with him there and could not escape as out of a room in the next place he heard all that was said in a carriage where it was my turn to be deaf piozzi's anecdotes gibbon at the end of a journey in a post-chaise wrote i am always so much delighted and improved with this union of ease and motion that were not the expense enormous i would travel every year some hundred miles more especially in england End of footnote. End of section 62.